This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. On this episode of Bucket Talk, we got Zach Martin, also known as the Possum King, certified forklift operator. Zach, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah, brother. It's great to have you on. Um, You have a pretty interesting background, um, but honestly, have not had somebody who works in warehousing and and with uh with forklifts so i definitely want to get into um how you got in the industry then we'll get to the possums and the crazy shit um so let's get a little background into who you are how you got to where you are today and and then we'll fucking go from there so it originally started it was when i first graduated high school i was driving tractors and decakers and i was like cleaning out chicken houses okay that was a very shitty job by the way I mean, but once I left there, I went and I started working in a uh, fabrication metal shop. We were making fireplaces. And I drove a forklift there a little bit. But when I seen down the road that a trailer plant had a forklift opening, I was like, man, you know, I don't want to do no more of this manual labor shit. And so I went and I got forklift certified. And that's when I become one of the few and far certified badass forklift operators that you see but it's definitely something different i thought it was going to be a lot easier but sometimes i look at it and i think man i probably should have stuck to building sidewalls <laughs> so, so why why is it difficult walk me through some of that stuff like i would assume just probably like your early assumptions that this is going to be easy just driving for it like how hard could this be but like what's up the driving part's not what's hard. It's the dealing with people. And let me tell you, you have to deal with them all. You yeah. don't get to pick and choose which ones you want to deal with. Okay. But also, whenever you, you do it and you're like working in receiving or something like that, they expect you to know every part that comes in. And they'll be like, oh, you know, this come in three weeks ago. Do you know where it's at? Well, we probably fucking use it if it's three weeks ago. But, I mean, that's what you want to say, but you can't. And... It's really weird because everything that comes in, they expect you to put it up. And, you know, so I mean, it's a lot more than just riding around. Everybody sees the riding around part, and they're like, "Oh man, that guy's got it made." Yeah. But they also forget to tell you that during the summertime, when it's a hundred degree weather, you're sitting on top of a two hundred degree motor all day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so are you? Uh, benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Go into that. I mean, the benefits are, I mean, of course, if it's like cold or whatever and you're in a warehouse and you ain't got nothing going on, you can easily pop that bad boy in a corner, stand behind it, and you are going to stay warm and toasty all day long. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So you run in, um, yours propane or you run in something different? Okay. So propane. Yeah. Awesome. We have big one, little one. Two different. We have two different styles. We have a standard four wheel one and then we have one that we call like the big daddy. It's got the. Four wheels in the front, the two wheels on the back. All right. And the big ones for some of our sheetrock and heavier stuff. But okay. So what do you? Uh, what usually comes out? So you're saying it's a trailer plant, right? 
What does yes. that entail? What what's what what is coming in? What is going out? What's the product? I mean, it is everything from your standard single wide that you see in the trailer park to some of these big modular homes that they make now. Okay. Some of the modular homes, they are actually, you know, three and four trailers put together. Yeah. To make one big house. And I, I mean, in all honesty, it's really neat to see how they do that. I mean, it takes a lot of ingenuity to find out how to put them all together. But whenever, yeah. whenever we put them all together, I mean, we make some pretty expensive ones. I think our more of our standard home is like $250,000. So, I mean, it's wow. not just your your basic trailer. I mean, they come, you know, fully loaded with everything, porches included. And some of the, some of the stuff some of these people put in them because we make ours custom to the people, it, mm -hmm. it will blow your mind. There are some... There are some definitely odd people. We made one last year that was purple. And I'm not talking about like purple. I'm talking about like Barney the Dinosaur purple. <laughs> and of course, this son of a gun sat on our lot for three months. And oh, man, we've, uh, we've done some that were Pepto-Bismol pink, uh, Tiffany blue. I mean, there's been some wild ones. That's crazy. So, um, and, and you said... Is it just bigger trailers or is it like actual modular housing, stick frame, like bring it to a site, put it all together stuff? It's some, it is exactly like you said. Some of them we take like down south to Florida and Louisiana. Yeah. And like they actually build them up off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So they bring a crane in, pull it off the low bed trailer, put it on, on the site. So obviously you got to get site work done. The reason I know about this is because I actually looked into a modular house up on the farm. But, um, yeah, it's pretty cool that you can customize all that portion of the house, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's seams throughout, and then they literally, they get bolted together. I mean, there's like, it's it's wild. But early on, modular housing wasn't the best, right? Like, obviously, no. um, as the times changed, I didn't realize that modular housing is actually pretty good now. It is. It, it will blow your mind how well they can put them together now. I mean, exactly. It's amazing. It, it definitely blew my mind. And the thing that really blew my mind when I went into the trailer plant industry, because I had really no idea about it. When mm. I went into it, it blew my mind how many and how fast they actually build them and put them together. Yeah. I mean, it like in one week, we, we consider like one half, one frame, a floor. So yeah. like when you're looking into some of your modular homes, some homes are like three and four floors. And they will literally start in the back with the frame being done. And mm -hmm. by the end of the day, you know, it's getting ready for your interior stuff. And it's, it blows my mind how in a week you can actually build like 18 of them. Wow. Yeah, it's, it was cool because they were, um, ours was going to come out of Pennsylvania. And obviously, you know, with Pennsylvania, it's a huge Amish population. And they're like, that's all <laughs> that works in this, in this trailer plant is, is the Amish community and they just pump them out one after the other, after the other, after the other. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was wild. Like you could have your stuff ready in under a month and, um, yeah, it's crazy. Ship right to your house, crane it right off, bolt it together, finish in touches. See you later. So now do you have to move those around? Like, are, are you, I, I would assume something had something picks that up and puts it on the trailer. Correct. Yeah. No. Okay. So we actually build the frame. And once we get the frame built, we run the mm -hmm. frame through the entire plant. 
and you know we have I think it's 14 stations in our main building so when it comes okay. in it's automatically in like station six and yep. station six they'll put down the floor station seven and eight and nine they put in the walls and all the showers and plumbing and a lot of the electrical work and then yep. when they get to station 10 you got the roof being put on station 11 you're getting you know your drywall on the inside is getting patched up some of it's getting painted they're putting in insulation in the roof and you get into station 12 they're putting the siding and the windows in it and by the time mm. it comes out in station 14 i mean it's pretty much done except for the interior work no shit so i mean like in a matter of i think it's like four hours from the time it rolls in to the time it rolls out and then after four hours i mean pretty much got a house if you was an interior designer and that's all built on the trailer itself or a frame that then is like a skid and then that goes on the trailer. How's that? So like whenever, whenever they first start, when they start into the frame shop, they'll yep. take the steel I-beam, they'll cut it and measure it and weld it all together, oh, put axles and tires and paint okay. it. And then that goes straight into the back. And then that's what gets pulled around. Uh, so that's the trailers. I was more thinking the modular housing, but no, that makes, that makes sense uh, with the trailers. Yeah. Put the wheels on her and then roll her around. I'm sure that's. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then once they get it there, I mean, it's just, they set it up. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I don't know as much about once it gets there. Yeah. I just know pretty much about what goes on inside there. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, have they gotten into some of this like mini home stuff? Have you, have you seen we, those tiny homes? We've done a few of them. And okay. I mean, when you actually see them, you're actually like, you know, they actually don't look that bad. Our weird one that we built was a couple of months ago, and the way that it was shaped, I mean, it looked like a storefront, but it was a single wide, and I was like, there ain't no way that thing's going to look all right. And then we got it built, and I was like, you know, I mean, it actually don't look that bad. <laughs> but uh, for the for the last three months, we've been doing the FEMA housings and okay. for the government, and I mean, that is... You know, we have we have had to have people come in and do the sprinkler systems. We've, you know, had all the uh, handicap accessible stuff in them, and those were definitely something really unique to build. So, can you say where those are going? What, what? I honestly, I have no idea, but I know a lot of times, like the reason we got these in, we only get FEMA's every three or every three years. Okay. We got these in because they were being stored in Montgomery, Alabama, and a tornado come through and mm -hmm. wiped them all out. So they just scrapped them all and, and rebuilt them. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know if they, they like, pause everything, bring in the FEMA trailers because they need to get them done for a specific natural disaster or something like that. You know, I thought about that, and then I was like, well, maybe they're going to Maui after them big, you know, the whole island burning. But then yeah. I got to thinking, how are they going to pull that to Hawaii? <laughs> like I would I don't assume know if that's possible. I would yeah, I mean the only the only logical explanation would be to put it on like a cargo ship or something and and put yeah. them over there, but yeah, I mean that's I'm sure somebody in that area could could do something out towards the west coast side of things. You would you would think that they would. I mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if if like if they do them in certain areas and whoever does them in that area, it kind of stays in that area. Yeah. I'm not really sure how that one works. So I know the answer to this, but a lot of our listeners don't know the answer to this, but you actually have to get certified on the forklift and hydraulics, correct? 
In Alabama, you do not. No? No. Wow. In Alabama is just a standard test from um, employment place to employment place. Wow, you guys are wilding out down there. <laughs> oh, man, this is the South. You know, we don't care. We grew up on this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, up here, you got to get a hoisting license, stuff like that to uh, to operate all that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool. So if you want to if you want to just get into it, go down to Alabama. And start. I mean, I've literally seen them hire people like fresh out of high school, maybe you know, graduate in May and by July they're Fort Lewis certified and in the trailer. Wow. Wild. No shit. Um, and then, you know, usually then they come in, they're all cocky or whatever. My favorite thing to tell them is like, look, man, I was doing this while you was in math class. You just <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> so now, now with this, is this, uh, is this a comfortable gig? Is this something you see yourself riding out on, you know, to the end or, or Honestly, is this something no. for now? Yeah, it's, it's what I'm doing for now. I mean, I definitely want to end up doing more with the animals and more with the farm. Yeah. Just the way everything is right now. You know, the licensing in that is what is hard here. Yeah. Is getting, you know, the proper licensing to do everything that you can with that. Because, like, I definitely want to have more of, like, one of the petting zoo type things. Okay. We have the animals where people can see and especially with me working with a lot of the native wildlife. I remember when I was in school that we had these people that would come around into the auditorium and they would show you about all the animals that were native and they would teach you about them. Mm-hmm. And since I've graduated now, you know, nobody does that anymore. Nobody does but that anymore. I definitely want to try to get into doing that. So that way some of these kids and, you know, the teachers too will be able to know more about the animals. Hell yeah. So let's get into the farm now. Um, Obviously, you have the Instagram handle Possum King. If you follow you on Instagram, uh, there's a lot to take in. So why don't you why don't you jump into how you got the name and and what you do there? Oh man, how I got the name the Possum King. I'm not really sure I'm going to tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> so. If you remember back when COVID hit the first time, everybody yep. went straight to Netflix and all you seen was the Tiger King. Yeah, yeah. The Tiger King, the Tiger King, the Tiger King. And I ended up deciding to make a TikTok video, you know, where I took a possum and I dressed it up as a tiger. And I used a Joe Exotic audio that was like, Carol Baskins killed her husband. <laughs> Of course, I got blocked by Carol Baskin, yeah, but then yeah. everybody just kind of like deemed it. It was like, oh, instead of the Tiger King, we got the Possum King. And I was like, hell yeah, let's stick it to it. Yeah. And it just stuck. Yeah. That's how the that's how the Possum King was born. Now, you mainly deal with possums or? No, I deal with anything and everything. Interesting. I had a, I had a baby coyote probably about a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. That was definitely my first with the little coyote, but she was in very bad shape. She had mange. She was very malnourished. So I ended up giving her some mange medication, some flea and tick medicine, some heartworm medicine. And I pretty much just give her a safe place to kind of lay and recuperate and gain weight back up. And then, then, you know, she got all spunky again. So released her back into the wild. And I think I still hear her, but I'm not sure if it's her or if it's another one. I never get to see them. I just hear them. So, how'd you get into this? It all started when 
I got my first possum. It was a little baby, and I named him Charlie Sheen. He was an alcoholic possum. He'd only drink red Gatorade or beer. No water. <laughs> if you give him water, he wouldn't drink it. Wow. And so once I got Charlie, I was the only one around the area that had a possum and the only one that would even try to consider saving them. Mm-hmm. And so then it just became, next thing you know, my phone was blowing up, ringing off the hook. Oh, I found six baby possums. Will you take them? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take them. And then next thing you know, I just kind of like, instead of being the crazy cat lady, I was the crazy possum guy. And <laughs> then next thing you know, somebody was like, well, it's not a possum, but it's a raccoon. Will you will you do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, probably the best one was the skunks. The skunks were the ones that I was the most cautious about. But I ended up with seven baby skunks. I I've already turned three of them loose, but four of them were still kind of small. So yep. I kept them a little bit longer, and they will probably be getting released, I want to say, probably either this weekend or next week. Okay. And so so you don't really, So you don't really keep them. You kind of rehabilitate <laughs> them and release them out into the wild. Now, every now and then, once you're doing it, especially if you get one that's in like really bad shape and you end up spending a lot of time with it, some of them will become more domesticated and won't run away. And yeah. that's what ended up happening with the fox. Mm-hmm. My fox is somebody tried to make her a pet and then they ended up getting chickens and, well, fox in the hen house is not a good combination. Right. And so I ended up taking her in and I actually tried to release her. And I had her just turn loose in the wild. But every time I get home from work, she'd hear my truck pull up and here she come running out of the woods. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not very good. <laughs> so that's how I ended up with her. I mean, she's very, she's very domesticated. I have a four-year-old son that can go in there and sit in there with her and just play with her. And she just licks all over him. So how much space do you got at your place that, that this all happens? Are you looking to get bigger bigger operation i mean i'm sure i definitely want to get bigger yeah i mean right now most of my animals like the fox the skunks that are usually all in smaller cages but that's because they're not here very long yeah my fox she has the biggest pen right now she has a 20 by 20 yeah and i'm wanting to upgrade that and get her a bigger fox she like a fox yard as they as you would call it Mm -hmm. but like my the possum that i have right now He'll be going into a permanent enclosure because I actually did release him and I went on vacation for three days and come back and he was back in his own enclosure and he was missing an ear. So I reckon he went out into the wild, must have found him another scrappy little male possum. They decided to fight. He got his butt whooped and he come back home. <laughs> so now he's missing an ear. So that's how Evander Holyfield become to be part of the crew here. <laughs> that's wild. Um, so what, what are you working up to? Because I would assume that like doing what you're doing now, there's, there's not much red tape you got to cut through, but is there to take the leap into, into quitting the full-time job and, and, uh, starting up an operation, I would assume that there's, there's some sort of level of certification or, or licensing or whatever that you got to be able to do. In order to do it with the animals, you need what Alabama considers an exhibition license Mm -hmm. in order to profit and all the stuff like that off of them. That's the only way that you can actually have native wildlife. Now, when it comes to a lot of other animals, Alabama has no regulations on. 
I think it was up until 2021, you could actually just be some random person in Alabama with a pet tiger. They didn't care. Oh, shit. Tiger, lion, anything that was exotic like that. But now if you wanted to keep a baby fawn that you found out in the wild, they was like, no, nope, you can't do that. Go get you a tiger. Is there any any reasoning behind that or it's just all fucking backwards? A lot of it was all fucking backwards. I mean, it was, it really was. Like, my grandpa started the deer farm that he had probably back in, I want to say, the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah. And he used to go up to Ohio and would get some of the big northern whitetail deer and bring them Mm. back down here to the south and breed them because the northerns had a bigger body than the southerns. Yep. And, of course, once Alabama, the state, found out how much he was really making off of it, you know, get into all of that good junk. You know, they was like, oh, no, you got to have license. Oh, no, if you can't bring them out of state. And I know for the deer, you have to have, you don't necessarily have to have so many acres, but you have to have a special license. And that license is only good for 50 and under or 100 and under, 250 and under, and then 250 and over. Yes. And I mean, the game one comes out once a year and we'll literally stand there with binoculars and try to count the deer as they're running through there. <laughs> I mean, usually they count a couple and they're like, well, this is what I count. And you're like, yeah, sounds about right. Okay, well, we'll call it that. <laughs> it's like, man, there's no way you can count them. They're all running through here. <laughs> yeah, I, got a, uh, I also have a farm up north. Um, none that are really considered native. I got pigs, chickens, ducks, horses. But what is funny is, is we had a um, on Facebook. They said that there's somebody's guinea hen was just going from one house to another to another. And somehow that guinea hen has now found my house and it won't leave. So now <laughs> I've acquired a guinea hen, um, not by design, but yeah, it's funny. It doesn't want to leave uh, and stays with the chickens and the ducks. So it's, I guess I might be under the same business model as you right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you can just become the guinea king. There you go. Yeah, guinea king. <laughs> Oh, those things are so fucking annoying. Oh, Um, man. My grandma had someone who was growing up, and, like, they were bad. And then anytime, especially, like, where I'm at, being in the back road, a lot of people let their guineas just free range. Yeah. And so next thing you know, you're coming around a curve, and there's, like, 15 guineas in a row. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? I can't tell you how many times I have tried to like speed up just to see how many I can get, but I think it's it's probably impossible to hit one, is it not? I don't think I, anybody's I mean, ever hit one. Well, it's wild because um, I have my my dog Jolene. Uh, she's Anatolian Shepherd and Great Pyrenees mix, so she's a livestock guardian dog, and she don't mess with the chickens, don't mess with the ducks, and she'll she'll move them around a little bit, um, but. That guinea hen came, and she knew that this wasn't part of the family, and Jolene has made an effort to try to get this fucking thing, and it's like a dodo bird thing. will just launch right in the air. Can't hit him. Fucking crazy. Um, but, yeah, that's wild. And it's cool, too. Like, I only recently got into chickens. Ours are technically considered free range, but they're in, like, 
they're in livestock fencing, so they can jump out and, and do whatever, but they never really go that far. So um, I'm either doing it right or I just got lucky. I mean, I know of a lot of people that's just had them and then yeah. like had them in like a barbed wire fence. And it's like, you know, you realize you could walk right under it, but they get to like where the fence is. And it's like, since it's head high, they're like, mm, no, turn around, go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I had the problem with keeping it in was our pig. We got yep. one of them uh, coon coon pigs, I believe. Yeah, I, that's that's what I breed. I cooney cooney pigs. Yeah. Oh man, let me tell you, got to reading about it. And it's like, oh, they don't really root. Yeah. And I got do. one. Of course, they're like, like this one is like rootaholic. I mean, we it took us probably a week before we could finally actually keep it inside the pen. Yeah. I mean, I was almost like tempted to go get the little nose ring for it. I didn't know <laughs> if that would actually work. But then I got to thinking too, like anytime you try to pick up this pig, I mean, it would scream bloody murder and just oh, like, yeah. like try to bite. And I was like, I really don't know how piercing a nose on a biting pig will go. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta trim their hooves. Um, obviously. Cause, uh, you get things like arthritis and and um our first pig kind of had a weight issue he enjoyed eating um we had to put him on a diet because it was like he was limping um but yeah our our cooney cooney pigs root as well i mean we have two pure and then we have two cooney idaho pasture pig cross um but yeah they're out there just fucking i mean they don't go crazy deep but they can get underneath the fence if they wanted to. I can't tell you how many afternoons I spent out here chasing a pig. And you would think, I was like, oh my God, I thought I was going to die. I didn't realize how out of shape I was. Like, go to my son's t-ball games, help him practice t-ball. And I'm like, oh right. man, I'm still in good shape. Got a pig? <laughs> I'm not in good shape no more. Oh shit. Um, what's the biggest possum you've ever found? So the biggest one, I actually never did weigh it, and it was my cousin. It got into his little carport, Yeah. and so I was just going to take it right down the road and release it, and usually when I would do something like that, you know, I would just catch it, and I would hold it, Yeah. and so when I got there, I was like, I was mind blown at the size of this possum. The only thing that I had in the truck that I could actually put it in to keep it in was an Igloo 45-quart cooler. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up putting it in the 45 quart cooler and like had to press down on the back of it to get this possum in there. And then I had to ratchet strap it so I could drive it down the road. Some of the oh. most redneck shit I've ever done. <laughs> now, so, now do, I don't know uh, how big it was, but it was a 45 quart cooler size. It was a 45 quart possum. <laughs> um, so Obviously, you talked about people contacting you about, um, you know, animals that need to be rehabilitated or what have you. Um, do you actually have to go get them? And if so, like, what's the craziest one you've had to deal with? I mean, I don't necessarily have to go and get them. I can have the people meet me and sometimes they can, you know, just come here. But that's also kind of like when the ones it's like, I don't really want everybody kind of come into the house. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I had, like, if I had my setup the way I wanted it to be, which is, you know, like, where the house would be out of the picture, mm -hmm. 
that would be, you know, ultimate goal then would be to have people just go ahead and bring them to you. Right, right. <laughs> the craziest experience I had. I ain't really had too many. There were, Okay, there was one possum that I ended up getting a call about, and it was on the 4th of July. And, of course, it was a raining 4th of July. And when I pulled up, this possum was literally just sitting there. And it was so wet that it like almost had a bald spot in its back from where the water had yeah. like caused its hair to go off. And that's that's probably the craziest one. Other than just the skunks. The skunks was definitely crazy. You don't get them very often. No. I watched a old timer at the shop. We had a we had a skunk issue. And uh he got out there, got the have a heart trap, and then the the first thing you do is he threw a wool blanket over the top of it. He's like, I ain't getting sprayed. And then, um, yeah, he took care of it. But, uh, it was, it was funny. It's like, I never thought to actually do that. I, I would have gone in there and just picked it up and probably made a mess of myself, but it's kind of funny. All the old timer knowledge of trapping and, and, uh, stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. But, you know, you would be amazed. As many old-timers that do know that, there's a lot of them that don't know that. <laughs> it's probably true as well. I mean, there's, there was one that told me one time, it was like the only way to keep a skunk from spraying was to shoot it directly in the head. And I can't remember who it was. They told him that, and they ended up catching a skunk, and they tried that. And it was like, man, as soon as I shot that thing, it turned around and started spraying. He was like, well, obviously you didn't shoot it right. He was like, I put the gun to the cage and shot it directly in the head. He said, well, you must have missed. <laughs> that's, that's why a lot of it's a lot of it, too, is kind of stories. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Oh, oh man. Uh, I've heard some stories. Um, how long do you think it's going to take you to do it? I mean, is it really attainable? Can you get funding? Um You can actually set it up as a nonprofit. There's a 5013C that I believe that you could set up this like for al or for animal sanctuaries and, mm -hmm. and things like that. I don't really want to do it that route because I mean, nonprofits get such a bad reputation, obviously mm -hmm. for, you know, just swindling money. Yeah. I mean, I want to find a way to do it to where, you know, people have the trust in you. Yeah. But I also want to be able to do something that like where we're at, we're so far away from a zoo that there's a lot of the kids around here that will probably never get to go to the zoo. Mm -hmm. So I want to definitely find some kind of way to incorporate it to where a lot of people can grow up and, you know, grow up learning about these animals. So it's cool that you actually say that. Cause I, there's a place up in Maine where I live. It's called the, uh, Maine wildlife preserve and everything there is native and, like I take the kids there all the time um, from turtles to deer to white-tailed deer to um, I think they have a couple of porcupines, uh, raccoons, all sorts of stuff. But you're right. I mean, it's oh, they also have uh, they rehabilitate some moose, but they have uh, a couple of moose there. But what's interesting is, is like, you know, all that helps for the preservation of um animals that are hurt or what have you on top of that it's education too so it is kind of cool like the kids do every time they go they learn something new and um but that's run by the state so that the game wardens run that whole operation um 
But it would be interesting to model after that, something like that. Yeah, I mean, see, the main thing is, is like where I'm located at, I believe there's like seven different schools mm. inside this, in the one county that I live in, there's like seven different schools yep. that range anywhere from 1A to 6A. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, to me, you know, you could really, you know, educate a lot of kids by going to there and, you know, especially like with say like Foxy, where I have her, where she's, you know, real calm and docile, you know, you could take her and put her harness on her. You know, a lot of people would be able to finally see a gray fox. Like a lot of people don't know that there is a gray fox. They only know of the red fox from the fox and the hound. Yeah. But I mean, the main thing is, is not necessarily finding a way to, to profit off of it, but, for it to be able to sustain itself yeah because the sustaining itself which is like that's the hardest part for me right now Mm -hmm. is to feed everything to feed everything and to spend all the time because like whenever i got the baby skunks they had to be syringe fed five times a day Jeez. yeah luckily i live close enough to work and i get a long enough lunch that i was literally going you know going to work and on lunch, I would come home, warm up milk, syringe feed seven skunks, clean everything up, turn around, grab something out of the microwave, and then turn around and go back to work. And as soon as I got off work, it was coming right back home and doing it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, farm life's different. If you're not, if you don't understand it or you haven't done it um, and you want to do it, start slow. Because, because the more you, you can get on, overwhelmed quick, feed costs, um, medical. I mean, like the first, <laughs> I had to tell my kids early on that like death is actually part of this. Like, um, I don't know. We've lost chickens randomly for God knows what. And, and it's not due to, um, you know, I guess, what is the, what is the term like negligence? It just mm-hmm. is what it is. When you have so many chickens, shit happens. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's wild and you never end up really looking into it. It's just like, you know, they're fed, they're watered, they have open space, they're in good health. And then you just find one dead and you're like, well, here's what it is. I had a, I had a little raccoon that that ended up happening with me about and, Luckily, I had some friends in upstate New York who yeah. she has like 23 raccoons that she has right now at this moment. Yeah. And so, I mean, luckily I had heard that I was able to turn to to get some advice on it. But yeah. I did not know that a raccoon could easily chip a tooth and get an infection and die in a matter of like 48 hours. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I had this little raccoon. He was doing good. He was eating good. And it was like at six o'clock, he was, you know, up on the door of his little cage and he was just chattering away at me. And I reached in there and I pet him and I walked on. Nine o'clock, dead. Wow. And it was like, what the fuck happened in three hours? Right, right. Yeah. But, I so. mean, the best that I could figure, you know, is he probably had an infection or where he had been bottle fed. You know, he could have easily got like a, what they call an aspiration. Yeah which is like where they get a little bit of air in their lungs that mm-hmm. causes a little bit of fluid to get in there. Yeah. You'd be amazed at the little things that can kill them. So simple that people don't understand. Yeah, no, it's, it's, 
yeah so you got to get used to death <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely the hardest part yeah it's like with um with opossums the way that a possum's nose is right on the end yeah like uh, well right on the end of his face right at the opening of its mouth yeah if you're like syringe feeding a possum if it overfills their mouth and they get it in their nose you'll put it down and it'll be completely fine. And you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, that was all good. You go back out there in two hours and that same possum would be dead because it got the milk and the fluids up in the nose and ended up drowning itself. Interesting. So you got to kind of, so, you got to know your stuff when you set, set out in this, uh, in this world. So that's wild. Wow. Awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, wanted to dig into why they called you the possum king get get behind the whole rehabilitation it's awesome that you're a certified forklift driver because now i could say i have i interviewed <laughs> one um everybody says they are but you're truly one um that being said what do you do outside of all of this what do you do for fun is it just the animals or um you doing some other crazy shit pretty much i mean now with taking on the farm as much as I have, I mean, there's pretty much like basically no free time. Yeah. Like, but beforehand I used to like to fish a lot. Yep. And that's the one thing a lot of people don't know about me is I used to actually, not only did I fish, but I was actually pretty good at it. Almost like going out pro? No, not that good. <laughs> not that good. I mean, we had, you know, local tournaments on the lake that, uh, yep. that's around the house. I mean, I've won a several of them. There was one that we ended up winning. Uh, it was a three-hour tournament on a Thursday night. Yeah. It was like from six to nine. And it was, as a matter of fact, it was the very first time that I ever fished a tournament. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was so excited to go. But then so many people was like, oh, you know, this guy's not going to take you to any of the spots where you're going to catch any big fish. You know, yep. he's just taking you. Kind of bummed me out. And actually, an hour and a half into the tournament, we were back sitting at the boat dock waiting on everybody else because, I mean, we was pretty much caught all that we could catch. We yeah. ended up with five bass, five largemouth, and went for a total of 30 pounds, six ounces. Wow. That's crazy. Our biggest one, our biggest one was nine pounds, 15 ounces. That's that's crazy. That's good stuff. Holy but I think, I think my all-time favorite was trot lining. Okay. And you know what a trot line is, right? Nope. Okay, so a trot line is, is basically a long-ass rope that's mm -hmm. got about 100 hooks tied to it that dangle. Okay. And so at one end, you got a brick, and then every 15, 20 foot, sometimes, you know, farther in between, you put a jug that mm -hmm. kind of holds it up off the bottom. Okay. And then you get to the other end. And you turn around, and you put another brick on it, and you put a jug there so that way you know where that brick is. Mm -hmm. And it sits right above the bottom, but you got your jugs that's keeping it off the bottom. And it's just a hundred hooks. You set it out one night, and you know, right at right at dark, and then first thing the next morning, you get back up and you go and you check it. And I can't tell you how many monster catfish we have caught doing that. So obviously the there's bait on the hooks. What what kind of bait you guys use? Chicken? Believe it or not, so like the biggest one we ever caught was 56 pounds. Mm -hmm. That was my personal best, and it was a flathead. And, of course, everybody's like, oh, what did you catch it on? And I always tell them, I caught it on a minnow. And they're always like, oh, no, you didn't catch no 56-pound catfish on a minnow. And I'm like, technically, I did. 
just that minnow got eaten by another small catfish, and that catfish ate the other small catfish. But technically, I caught it on a minnow. I mean, I didn't lie. <laughs> I just didn't tell the in-between part. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny. I, I have heard trot line, and yes, that does make sense. I just, honestly, when you ask me, I'm like, I can't, for the life of me, tell you what one is. I've heard it. It's in every fucking country song, for the most part, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but that's probably the first time I've ever described one, too. Yeah. And I'm kind of struggling with it. <laughs> I mean, they do that stuff up here, too. Um, not necessarily with the trot line, but um, we're known for lobsters and crabs. And, again, it's it's all the same, same idea. You yeah. throw it out there, you bait it, and you're using hooks. We're using traps. Uh, same idea, though. I think the one thing that I've always wanted to do, though, is I think I've always wanted to go noodling. Mm. You know, the hand fishing. Uh, yeah, hillbilly hand fishing. I've wanted to, but, you know, every time I get there and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I just don't know if I could stick my hand in there when I don't know what's underneath that rock. When you met Jeff and Hannah Barron, you didn't, you didn't like, talk to them about I didn't. They had so many people that was really there. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to. I mean, they, you know, they're such great people that so many people want to meet them. So, yeah. of course, I mean, I think I ended up waiting in line for, I want to say, like almost 45 minutes before I actually got to meet them. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're really good people, but I think that would probably be about the only way that I would go is if I went with them. Yeah, but I mean. Uh, somebody that knew what they were doing. She's She's pulling monster catfish out of that. I think I seen where her biggest was like sixty four pounds. That's crazy. And that uh, I don't know if I want one that big, but yeah, I definitely want to try it. But knowing my luck, I'd stick my hand in there, mm-hmm. and like there'd be a turtle in there, and it would bite my finger off. Mm-hmm. And of course, if it did, it would end up biting my middle finger off, and that's the one finger I don't want to lose. <laughs> that's that wild. would be my luck. I mean. But the funny thing about that is my grandpa was actually missing his middle finger. You got to tell me the story. It's got to be. Well, the story that I was always told was like back in the 80s, whenever he was hunting all the time, he was muzzleloader hunting and ended up in a hotel room and was cleaning out his muzzleloader. And he was going to put his finger in the barrel to kind of muffle the sound when he pulled the trigger after he unloaded it. And turns out he didn't unload it. So he shot it off in a motel room in like the 80s with a muzzleloader. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, let, that's that's not, I'll, uh, let's roll with that one. That's a good story. <laughs> I mean, that's the story I was always told. But I was also told that when he got to the hospital and they went to remove it, he actually asked him if he could keep his finger. What, are you, they, just like in a jar of embalming? Yeah, I reckon he wanted to just keep his finger in a jar. I don't know what he was planning on doing with it. <laughs> I mean, but. That's a wild I mean, that definitely sounds like something he would have asked him, too. <laughs> That's wild. Well, shit. Um, yeah, uh, I guess. I guess if we go uh, noodling, uh, we gotta bring you along because um, that'll be that'll be an amazing experience. I think either that or I'll have a catfish fr- fucking drown me. Um, but 
Yeah. No, this has been a great episode. Uh, it's great to get to know you a little bit more. Um, you, you've always got crazy content. Seems like you're super passionate about what you do. Um, I do wish you the best of luck. And um, for our listeners out there, um, are you looking for anything, uh, help in any area that maybe we can uh, amplify your message and people can contact you um, about anything or even just learning about what you do? I mean, I'm always open to learning mm-hmm. and I'm always open to learning from people that are already doing it. Yeah. Um, I do have a lot of friends that are already doing it. They have been giving me some really good advice. Nice. One of the, one of the things that makes it so hard in the state is the amount of volunteer hours that you have to put in before you can get a lot of your license. Yeah. And so like already working a full-time job, running a farm, taking care of what I do have already, that is hard to time, you know, to find the time to volunteer. Yeah. And especially, I think a lot of the nearest places for me to volunteer are about two hours away from here. Wow. So you're driving two hours one way to volunteer, and I mean, it's got some crazy volunteer hours. Like, I think one of the uh, exhibition license was like 75 hours of volunteer mm. work. That's a lot. And it really is. That's that's the main thing. The, well, I guess the yeah, that would probably be the main thing is the all the licensing, knowing exactly where to go through with all of that. Awesome. So if somebody could help you out, that would be that would be amazing. Um, oh, it, it'd mean the world. Okay. So maybe there's somebody out there listening to this that uh, can give you some advice, help you out. I think that'd be. Wonderful. And if they want to learn more about what you do, where can they find you? Um, on TikTok, you can find me at the underscore possum king and the same on Instagram. That's that's usually the main two places that I'm at, TikTok and Instagram. Awesome. So if you want to know more, hit them up in the DMs and uh, and uh, I'm sure he'll respond to everyone in a timely manner, right? Oh, yeah. For the most part. For the as most long part. as it's not a text message, I reply. Text messages, <laughs> I suck at. I think I've got like 330 text messages that I haven't opened. Oh, shit. That's wild. Wild. Well, hey, Zach, thanks for being on the show. This has been amazing. Um, you're an awesome dude. And keep up the good work because, you know, somebody's some. you actually give a shit. And, and that's cool that you're out there uh, helping animals out and helping people out because, again, you know, a lot of people don't know where to turn when they're, when they have this something show up in their property and they, they have nothing to do with it. So that's awesome. You're awesome. And thanks for being on the show, bud. Thank you for having me. And as a special thanks to our loyal listeners, we're giving $10 off your next purchase of $60 or more at bruntworkwear.com. Use discount code bucket talk 10. That's bucket talk 10.